Hey, babes. I am your host, Christina Catherine McGinnis, a recent college graduate who is just trying to figure her shit out. In the Bottled Blonde podcast, we are talking lots of booze with a new drinking word every week, dishing on our latest dating adventures, diving into work hacks, and the best hashtag self-care tips around. This is a place for all babes to come and chat about the millennial four pillars, booze, boys, business, and beauty. Come with a glass of champs and get ready to laugh, learn, and have a happy hour with your blonde digital BFF. Let's celebrate not having it all together, but having a good fucking time while we're at it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts every Thursday. Cheers. Hello, TBB babes. I am your host, Christina Catherine McGinnis, the founder of KCM Connect, the Bottle Blonde podcast, and the blog, ChristinaMcGinnis.com. What is up? What is happening? Happy Thursday. Thirsty Thursday. Today, I am ready to get my drink on. I have my friend in town, Zoe, and we're going to go out to eat. Actually, I may not be drinking that much. I had one glass of wine. I have not drinking in six weeks. How un-TBB of me, but we've been drinking lots of matcha and chagachinos, so I'm feeling very LA about myself. And had one glass of wine this weekend, swear to God, I was like a raging bitch on the way home. We went to the Stranger Things drive-thru. Phenomenal, by the way. Highly, highly recommend. They made it like a whole shebang and ordeal. Loved that for Stranger Things. And had the one glass of wine, raging headache. And I was super hydrated. And I'm like, I don't know, maybe wine isn't our calling. Maybe we need to get some tequila, hit something a little harder. The body is used to the tequila. Well, maybe not after you know a six-week break, but a little bit of a hiatus. But I'm ready to come back, back and better than ever. In the TBB land, we have so many fun guests coming soon. And I cannot wait for you guys to hear them. I have been, I recorded my first podcast no joke, because all of these were pre-recorded before I had surgery. Recorded my first podcast this week, and it felt so freaking good to be back. It was the first one in person in God knows how long, like probably two months. And it's just nice to be able to talk to people in person, see their faces. Oh, it was just, it was glorious. And over here, we have dealt with a lot of just like complications post-surgery. I didn't get the best news. So if you guys have been kind of in an eh funk this week, I am 100% with you. So pretty much they told me it might be another eight weeks before I'm back to normal. I was released to drive, so that's cool. So <laughs> I'm going to start doing a little joyriding action and then I can work out semi like a little bit. And I didn't realize how much muscle I had lost in six weeks. But holy hell, like my arms, I was lifting three pounds weights. And I was like, why do these feel like they're 145 pounds? I'm like, wow, we are we are a little weakling. That's okay. We're going to get back at it. I did some hunting on the gram and found some really good personal trainers who like put out a whole bunch of free stuff on Instagram. So I'm starting to use those. Or I just go on YouTube and I'll find different little workouts that you can do like in your kitchen that are 10 minutes. Or, you know, if you have, if you're in an apartment and have like a small space, that is like my jam. I hit up the YouTube, hit up the gram. Some people make them on reels. My problem with reels or them being on an Instagram post is they go so fucking fast. I'm sitting there like sweating my ass off. And I'm like, how the hell did she do that move? I have to wait another 15 seconds. 
for them to go back to the move so I can see it properly. So that's the only downside. So like an IGTV moment, love it. Not necessarily a real moment. But despite all of our babbling, I am so excited for my friend to be in town. LA Hotman surprised me because I was really down in the dumps and just really going through it. Like after six weeks, I thought that I was going to be cleared. And so that it's potentially going to be another eight more was just kind of daunting to me. So the man surprised me as an early birthday present. We're going to motherfucking Turks and Caicos. What? What? I about peed myself. I've never been to Miami and we're going to start in Miami for a few days and then go to Turks and Caicos in August. And I mean, holla. I was like, wow, really post enema suppository, giving me back rubs, feeding me, dressing me, tying my shoes. You like me enough to take me to Turks and Caicos? Like what the hell? <laughs> Literally made me laugh out loud. I was dying. And it will be like our one year. And I can't even believe that I can like say that. Like one year. Can you guys believe it's been way past a year since we've been in pandemicness? But I feel like time has just like flown by. And it's been crazy, even though like I've taken literally not been myself for six weeks. I feel like stuff is just like going, going, going. And I'm so freaking pumped for things to start opening. Depending on where you are, if you're in Texas or Scottsdale or Florida, love this for you. Like you are out, you are partying, you are making it a time. We actually found out in LA that they're going to start taking masks off in June. And I'm like, I love how like the news makes it, I don't really watch the news, but if it's like I'm scrolling by or something and I catch like 35 seconds, then I've hit my max capacity. And I feel like the news pretty much makes it seem like we're at the end of the world. This is the worst thing ever. And then literally we get an email that's like, oh, masks are coming off. I'm like, whoa, whoa, what is happening? What is going on? So we'll see how long that sticks because I have a feeling, I mean, I bought a lot of hella cute, like little masks with chained and all the, uh, I mean, so many masks on Amazon. So I'm like, what am I going to do with these? What are all the mask businesses going to do post COVID? That's just something that's been rattling my mind or like all of the mask sales, like they've geared up for so many more masks. And then lo and behold, like what? We're just not going to ever wear masks. My my mask knee is going to be gone. What a time to be alive. But we're stopping the babble. Anyway, clearly I have too much time on my hands and I'm pumped to be able to jump into this episode with Lindsay. Pumped to be able to hang out with you. We're putting so much goodness on the TBB Instagram. So come say, hey, I will be answering DMs all day. And I love you, babies, so much. Hello, TBB babes. Today's drinking word is going to be therapy because we are chatting with Lindsay Pelosi. You can literally hear this German shepherd screaming in the background of this audio. Like, come on, get it together. I am right above right now, like the dog area where all the dogs go potty. And you know, they need to cool it. Tell their dogs we're recording for the TBB babes. So we're chatting today with Lindsay, who is a marriage and family therapist in Las Vegas. I can't wait. I'm going to Las Vegas in September. I am ready to party. But today we are talking all about her private wellness focus practice called Fundamental Health, where she talks about prioritizing your mental health through the mind fundamentals. And there's just so much that goes into this episode. 
She's an expert on prioritizing your day and how to stop procrastinating, talking about why your day should start out with self-care and how to overcome anxiety and warning signs for anxiety and burnout. She also launched a program called Hustle Smart. And you best believe that it is on sale for you, babes. Instead of it being $49.99, it's going to be $35. You can use the code BOTTLEDBLONDE for her course called Hustle Smart. So I can't wait for you guys to get that. Let's jump into it. Hello, TBB babes. I am so excited. We have Lindsay here today. We are talking all things relationship. This is definitely a boy episode, but also the relationship with yourself. Thank you so much, Lindsay, for spending the time with the TBB babes. And I am pumped for everything we're jumping into today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And this is all of my like stuff. I could talk about this for hours, but we're going to try and limit this today. <laughs> <laughs> and I already know I'm like, we're both like chatty gals. Like, we're yeah. like it's <laughs> so I am pumped. Let's for all the people who do not know you dive into a little bit about yourself and how you came to be a marriage and family therapist. So I am actually based in Las Vegas and but I'm a military brat. My dad was in the Air Force. So we moved all over the place when I was little. And at the age of 18, I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression. Actually, after leaving my freshman year of UCLA, that's a whole other story, but it definitely contributed to my mindset at the time. And but coming from a military background, I wasn't really keen on talking about anxiety. I didn't know what it was. It just sounded like a problem I did not want to deal with. <laughs> and so I didn't for 12 years. I avoided all of the doctor's recommendations for medication, for therapy. I was not going to therapy. Like I was not going to go talk about my feelings. That sounded miserable and was everything against like what I was raised in a very like right wing, you know, straight laced family. So it wasn't until I was 30 and was... <laughs> really unhappy at that point because anxiety doesn't just go away. It kind of like digresses and manifests into all areas of your life. And so I had been through like every terrible relationship by that point. I kind of settled into a, a career that didn't make me happy, just trying to make everybody else happy. I was divorced by that age. I was in another relationship, like just trying desperately to find happiness. And that's just not how you do it. And so I finally gave in and we we're like, we're going to go to couples therapy because in my mind, I'm like, you are the problem and I need a therapist to validate me and tell me, tell you that you're doing everything wrong. And that didn't end up working. We ended up breaking up in therapy and I like ended the session crying saying like, can I please stay? Like, I need to, I need you. <laughs> You've yeah. been more helpful to me than the relationship. And I feel like at the end of the day, I'm the common denominator in all of my unhappiness and like something's got to give. So I stuck with therapy despite it being a real challenge for me to decide to go. And it was really life-changing. Like suddenly I realized how much I hated my career and how I was choosing men that were just terrible fits for me because I thought it was supposed to make me happy or it would have made somebody else happy like my mom or my grandma, you know? And I decided like this was so pivotal and life-changing for me. And now I hate my career in hospitality on the strip. So I was just going to go ahead and give it a shot and be the kind of therapist that 
I never knew existed or never thought existed. I didn't want to be like a frou-frou, like woo-woo. We're going to talk about like crystals and cry and or and like get really emotional and touchy-feely. I wanted to be a really cool therapist and really make it easy. And so I've, I don't know, been on this mission to make therapy approachable to people who don't want to go to therapy. And that has kind of pivoted into men because they're a little less likely to go to therapy. And then I was a bartender on the strip in the meantime to go to grad school because I was like, I've spent all this time trying to be what I was supposed to be. So I'm going to have some fun now that I'm 30. Yeah. So I think that I'm in a lot of ways, not your typical therapist. And I think that that is, I think my selling point, I really want to reach people who need an outlet, but don't want the structure that's been set in place in the stigma or stereotype. Yeah, no, I love that. That's actually why we brought you on is because I feel like you weren't the typical therapist in the best way, that it was a little bit more approachable because a lot of times people see therapy as like, oh my gosh, I have problems. I go to therapy. Yeah. And it's seems, broken. Yeah. I'm broken. When, when really a lot of the times it's you just going and having an outside perspective of someone who doesn't, isn't that close to you having yeah. someone to bounce ideas off of, or maybe just vent. And yeah. it's very interesting to me that a lot of therapists, you know, are so buttoned up and you think of, when you think of therapy, you think of like the TV shows where they're like scribbling on the paper and like judging you and like a button. Yeah. Not something that's, it is more approachable. How did you start? Like, how was men kind of, was that something that just happened naturally? Just more men ended up coming to you? Not necessarily. Not that they ended up coming to me because usually they're still brought in by their wives or their girlfriends. But I do feel like I was able to make more impact with them. Like usually they they were coming to me because they'd already been to couples counseling and it wasn't working or they felt like the past therapist was very aligned with the wife. And so like, they felt like they were getting ganged up on. And if I'm completely honest, like I kind of relate to the struggle of men a little bit more because I almost feel like my upbringing was a little more masculine in the way that I think. And so like, I relate to the way that men think in that, like, you're not supposed to cry. You're supposed to be perceived this certain way. Like, there's nothing wrong with me. Pull myself up by the bootstraps. That's something I relate to because that was my own personal struggle for so long. And I, so as a marriage and family therapist, we see things from a, a systems perspective. So it's not that you manifest and create your own problems. It's that your culture, your religion, your family, your relationships all help you to identify the way that the world works. And so it's essentially like all of these problems are put on you. And I think if we think from a systemic perspective for men, we have different expectations for them than we do for women. And so I think I kind of relate to that a little bit more than some other therapists do. So it's really a feminist perspective in that I want to break men out of the misogyny and patriarchal system that we've all been raised in. It's just, I don't know, other therapists are maybe less likely to see that as the issue and instead see men as difficult or the pushing against the, the, the work, I guess. Yeah. So you're trying to help others by prioritizing mental health through the mind fundamentals. What exactly are the mind fundamentals? So as I said, I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression myself at 18 and it was a really rough place for a really long time. And 
the things that kind of got me by were just the basics that I think that a lot of our culture doesn't embrace as much as we should. So the MIND Fundamentals is an acronym. It stands for Movement, Intention, Nourishment, and Deep Connections. And really, they're the core foundations that got me through that depression. Eventually, there was also antidepressants. So let me be completely honest about that. Yeah. Because prevention can only take you so far. Once you have the cancer diagnosis, you can't be preventing cancer through like juicing anymore. Right. And the same thing applies for really serious things like anxiety and depression. But I think if we live a little bit more preventatively across the board and even identify like mental health as a a hygiene that we have to practice, just like dental health, we practice dental hygiene. We go to the doctor for preventative health all the time and nobody talks about our brain in the same way. So I created the mind fundamentals as just like the basics to getting back to the way that we were supposed to live. And you can get so much further when you are exercising your body daily setting goals and reaching them is like a huge thing that I saw through the pandemic that when you don't have a typical routine or a job that's going to hold you accountable to deadlines, it's really easy for your mental to go just out the window. So setting small goals, like I'm just going to shower today is so helpful in keeping you at the top of your game. And then nourishment has kind of two different meanings. So nourishment, obviously what you put in your body fuels you to the best of your ability and that impacts your mental health, but also like your hobbies and your habits and the things that put you in like the flow zone, the things that get you excited. That's so important for positive mental health is having hobbies. And I think that a lot of people don't have hobbies anymore because it's just, you know, being on social media and comparing and nobody's, I don't know, picking up a guitar to like learn an instrument these days or, you know, you also get into an age where drinking becomes your hobby. And that's, I love me a good drink, but there's just also got to be more to it. And then the final one is deep connections. And we kind of touched on just loneliness in our little beginning chat before we started recording. But loneliness is being found more and more frequently as the number one indicator for anxiety, depression, and addiction. And you can be lonely even in a group of people. So making sure that you're not only having like surface level connections, like on social media, but like the real ones where you're getting vulnerable and talking about your authentic self and connecting with others on a really uncomfortable level is absolutely crucial to just performing your best mentally. What do you find a lot of men? Because I feel like most of our listeners are female. Yeah. Give us a little insight on what a lot of men are facing. Obviously, each person is so specific with their own environment and things that have happened to them and things that they've gotten from relationships. What are a lot of things that you see as a trend between all of your clients that are male? Emotions. Emotions are absolutely normal and we have to have them. They're instinctually, we were created with emotions and, and it's really powerful. We're one of the only creatures on earth that have emotions and can function through emotions. And I think a lot of the narrative for men is like, don't cry. No, what happened in the past happened in the past. Like you need to move forward and get past that. Like we're teaching them from a very young age to completely numb any emotion. We still have this narrative of positive versus negative emotion. And that's absolutely inaccurate. All of our emotions serve a really powerful purpose. And 
I mean, and that works both ways. Like women are considered overly emotional for being able to tap into their emotions. And then men, if they are able to identify emotions or if they are seen as too emotional, become like an effeminate male. So really allowing men the ability to understand the importance of emotions and how crucial they are to any sort of communication, to any sort of compassion for a partner or for themselves. Compassion and it's that's something I hear a lot for, from my men is like, it's really hard for me to validate her or create empathy for her. Like, I don't know how to get on that level. I don't have that level of emotion. And so I have to teach them like, yeah, empathy comes from you. If you don't have empathy for yourself and self-compassion, then of course you can't give it to other people. And you have to be aware of your own emotions in order to create that compassion. So that's definitely the biggest struggle I think is allowing them to be like, it's okay to be sad. <laughs> like yeah. it, that is actually a really important tool for helping to re-motivate you. Experiencing sadness is seen as if we look, I guess, like anthropologically or biologically, it's a motivator that says like where I am now is not where I want to be. So this feeling should be my impetus to create a change that makes me feel differently. Fear is also, you know, a really basic tool that we were given so that we can survive. And so all of these like deemed negative emotions are get in the way, I think, of men being able to truly connect not only with each other in deep connections, but also in relationships and vice versa. Women also deal with this too. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, there's definitely been times even, yeah, even like girl to girl, like, or, you know, just yeah. relationships. there's so many other things. I feel like especially the mind fundamentals can be yeah. related to so many people and so many things. I would love to tap into two prioritizing your day and how to stop procrastinating. Can you okay. share tips with our listeners on how to get more stuff done? Uh, this is one I hear a lot too, because I think that I work with mainly like really high achievers. And so a part of it is you don't have to accomplish all the things all day, every day in order to be like worthy of love and like acceptance and to be a great person. Like we have put such an emphasis on productivity that we have forgotten that that's not what we were put on earth to do. We were put on earth to create great legacies through connection and through learning. And it's not just who can accomplish the most throughout the day. So if you kind of slow down and remind yourself of that, it becomes a little less stressful to accomplish things throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Actually, my coach the other day, one of my coaches was talking about how there's such an important difference between the word routine versus the word ritual. And so like, if you tell yourself that you have a morning ritual and that's something that fuels you and ignites you and inspires you for the day, then there's so much less pressure than if you tell yourself, I have my morning routine, which sounds like a grind already, right? Like, And it kind of has a nice connotation. It's like, like routine sounds boring. It sounds daunting. And it sounds something that's like weighing on you versus ritual is definitely more of something that's like, it sounds fancier, sounds fun. Yeah. And it's also like, it sounds more like glitz and glam. Like this is my ritual. It sounds yeah. like it's almost like magical. Yeah, exactly. And it is, it can be magical. So I do think that a morning routine is incredibly helpful because our brain is an automation system. It's looking to automate everything it can. So, I mean, we don't think of it because 
that's what the brain does it for us is you don't have to think so that you're able to continue to learn. But like if you think about really complicated things like learning how to walk or learning how to speak a language, if you learn about like or think about learning to speak English, you know, when you're like two and three years old, isn't that like mind boggling that you can learn like this many words and then you don't. Well, most of us don't think of it. Sometimes you get a little jumbled. Yeah. But we're able to do all of this thing, all of these things like automated without any thought going into it whatsoever. So we can walk and talk at the same time. We can drive and text at the same time. It's probably not safe, but like we can multitask all over the place because our brain is so good at automating for us the more that we create routine to practice things. So when you have a routine in the morning, you want it to create an emphasis on what's going to best energize you. So my ritual looks like I wake up, I wake up, God, I have two kids, they're two and three, and that will change your life <laughs> and make you have to wake up a little bit earlier. So now I wake up at five in the morning and I get my workout out of the way first thing in the morning. And that's really helpful because that then gets your adrenaline pumping and gets all your energy and your blood flowing. It makes you a little bit more creative. For me, it's really initializing my first flow zone, which I think makes me more creative and more productive throughout the day. So you kind of like are hacking into that. And then I journal on all kinds of things. But like usually I, I try to journal as my future self, which is really powerful you can do like people do affirmations and this is all this like woo woo therapy stuff that I said I was never going to do. But now that I'm like in this, there's so much science to back this that I got to push for it because it really works. Like standing in the mirror, talking to yourself is incredibly powerful. And I never thought I would say that. <laughs> yeah, even like gratitude journals, like there's this one five minute journal or something like five minute gratitude, something along those lines. But I think that it is like, when you start accepting and also being grateful for the smallest things in your life, that took me like a while and I'm still learning it. But those yeah. little moments mean a lot more than the big moments. Yes. And like a thing that I was talking to someone and they're like, if you don't start celebrating the little moments, those big moments aren't going to matter. And I realized exactly. the more that I hit some of those bigger moments and they were numbing. I was like, whoa, we've got to change the routine here. I got to start celebrating these little things because yeah. then you're we're way more excited to celebrate the big things and mm-hmm. life doesn't feel as such a chore. It feels like okay, you kind of get those little happy moments from yes, I completed my list for the day or yeah. yes, I showered or this is so amazing. I cleaned my house. Whatever that is, like those yep. little things that make you feel the best and mm-hmm. also give you a little sense of joy. I feel like it's, it's such an important piece that people they'll say, enjoy the small things, but really what does that mean? Yeah. I mean, well, that's something that I assign to my clients with depressive symptoms automatically off the bat. It's the number one thing that will kind of get them out of their head and recognizing, like you said, all the small things, but I think another huge game changer, like the next step from that is like learning to celebrate failures, which is just mind blowing because like, it's one thing to be like, Oh, I did everything right. I did everything I wanted to do. It's another to be like, I'm going to set this goal. I don't think I can pull it off. And you finally go and accomplish it. And then you like fall flat on your face. If you can take that and be like, okay, but I learned so much from this and I'm so glad I did it. Like I'm that scared the shit out of me and I still did it and it didn't work out, but now I can go and do it again 
and it won't be as nerve wracking. I have a little bit more practice. My brain has automated the better ways to do this for next time. And, you know, that's how you're like really progressing to the next level. So that's a whole, a whole other level of gratitude is practicing gratitude for really fucking up. (laughs) Have you ever read the book Go For No? No. Okay. You're going to love this. So I had a follower like send it to me on my personal page, I think like two years ago, because I was talking about failure and I was like, people just don't talk about their failing moments enough. And so this book, it's like an 80 pager, but it talks about actually how this guy, I'm not going to ruin it, but this guy essentially could have changed his life if he just kept going. And it's about actually trying to set, and I do this with my business, even with my influencer stuff, podcasts we try to hit a certain number of no's per month and not look at the yeses. So and, powerful. And if you wanted to hit, let's say 26 no's, most of the time, if you were wanting to hit five yeses, once you hit the five yeses, you're done. You were done. Most people stop trying once they've hit I the like goal. That. Versus if you have the 20 no's, we've realized too, you end up doubling your yeses when you're trying to go for the failure. And I've started recording like even our pitch meetings or stuff that we do with clients. And you'll realize two patterns on why it was a no, or maybe it wasn't a good fit and it was a blessing, but it actually helps you so much. And then you're not as like, oh my gosh, it was a no. You're like, yes, we hit a no. And it falls in this category. So we know moving forward, we're not going to do this, right? Yeah. It's like a very, I would love that. As soon as you said that. I'm writing it down. Yeah. I was like, you're going to love go for now. It's so good. And it's on Amazon. All right. Thanks. Yeah. Of course. How do people stop procrastinating? Cause this is such a huge thing. And I feel like it's very specifically to like, especially like my age group, we're so (laughs) like, go, 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 go. And then also putting things off until the last minute. What do you think is the best way for people who have grown up in a time where instant gratification is at your fingertips. Mm -hmm. And also there's so many other things going on that it's so easy to just push something aside. So this is something I'm working on with a coaching client right now. And I, I mean, it's very different for everybody, but what we're finding with her is it's almost like she's such a high achiever that like having the regular assignments doesn't feel challenging enough for her for whatever reason. So it's almost like she's like primed her brain to think like that sounds boring and terrible. And by the way, we only procrastinate things that we don't enjoy. Right. So like already knowing that off the bat, like if you are feeling that sense of like, I don't want to do that. It's usually because it's not exciting to you or doesn't feel challenging. So in her case, she puts it off until the very last minute and then she creates the challenge that she craves because then she's only got like an hour to do it. And like, she's at a crunch and like, she won't get paid if she doesn't do it or, you know, Mm -hmm. so recognizing that it's not something you enjoy is important. But so if we go back to the morning routine where, you know, so I was saying like, if I work out that creates my energy for the day. And I'm going to be more energized first thing in the morning. So my goal is always to do the thing that I least want to do, or that's going to take the most energy right then. So like, right as I get in the office, I need to tackle that thing that I don't want to do. Because then if you can get it out of the way, everything else is like cake, right? Because everything else is, it's usually the things that you want to do that you're like, man, I can't wait to like write this content or, you know, do the fun stuff or record this story. 
But if you're like, I need to write this note or this assessment intake or something that is tedious and boring, it's really easy to put it off. So recognizing that it sucks. <laughs> and if you do it first thing in the morning, you stand a better chance of being way more productive throughout the day. I actually, so I use an app called Trello and it's like how oh. I organize my day. And I'll actually move up the thing that I want to not fucking do to the front to do that because I'll notice too. And I've seen patterns in myself when I actually push that to the end, it takes me twice as long to do it. And then I'm also panicking about doing it for the whole day. Instead of nailing it nine times out of 10, it took you half the amount of time that you thought it was going to. It's funny. I always schedule out because I time block everything. Yes. So good. And I love it. But the problem is, is even in your head, you're like, oh my God, that's going to take me an hour. I did that with a project. It took me five minutes. But yeah, it, exactly. It's like your idea of like, this is so daunting. I don't like to do that. But I, I noticed too, that especially in like a business sense, when I notice myself procrastinating something, it's because I don't like to do it. So that needs to be a task that I hand off to someone else to be productive. Yeah, that's, I mean, 100% too. If you can delegate, delegate. Like, I think that that is like, and especially in this like driven hustle hard, like society that we're in, people really undervalue the power of, yeah, getting off your plate what is just not enjoyable. Yeah. Or like take you a really long time. Like for me, video editing, not my fan. Like I don't Mm -hmm. like, I don't like to do it. So it's like that to me is worth, you know, getting someone on my team to edit that because really most of the time, like that we spend, it's, it's one thing to learn a new skill and be like, I need to learn this skill or it's just straight up not valuable for my time. Like there hits a point. I feel like with a lot of people who, you know, they're just like, Oh, well, I want to do this or I want to learn that. And then they just never do versus freaking delegate it to someone. They'll finish the task. And the time it's taken you eight hours took them five minutes because they've been doing it for six years. And people really struggle with struggle with hiring help, but I'm not going to remember the exact specifics of this study, but I think it was a study done in Northwestern and two groups were given $500. One group was to spend it on service-based projects and the other was to spend it on whatever they wanted. And so the people who spent it on the service uh, I don't know, like reported much higher rates of happiness than the people who just spent it on like material objects. So people really undervalue the importance of just hiring in some help. It's going to pay off so much in the long run. And if you're in a business, then it's crucial. Even thing I'm going to say for procrastination though, too, is like learning to be comfortable, not always doing a plus work is something that you have to get comfortable with doing. So if if for whatever reason you can't or you're not at a place to be able to hire help yet, knowing that like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. I just need to get this done during my like top energy zone, which is first thing in the morning. And then I'm going to get it done. And I'm going to tell myself like, I'm going to do B level work on this. This is going to be B minus work. And then if I have extra energy today or tomorrow or before the deadline, I'll go in and make get eight plus, but I just want to get this out of the way and off of my head because our, our brain thinks in loops and we'll be constant. Like when you are like, I need to remember milk. I can't forget milk. I can't forget milk. You'll go on that loop all day long unless you write it down and then it's off of your head, off that loop. And it's in its own separate place. The same thing applies for that little task that you just loop on that, like anxiety. Let me get it done. I'll do B level work. It'll be totally fine. 
and then it's off my head and I can accomplish so much more. Yeah, I totally agree. Going back to the thing you kind of talked about before, like the milk example, even with like gift giving, I feel like anytime that someone has given me a gift, most of the time, if it's a physical item, I forget what that gift is versus if they gift you an experience to like either experience with them or by yourself. I remember every single one because it was a more like pivotal moment in time. So like, that's my thing is like, I'm with the guy that- that's the reason that is, is because your brain remembers emotion so much more than it remembers anything else. And so like all of our, I learned this as I was like training to be an EMDR therapist, which is eye movement desensitization reprocessing. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially it helps you to process trauma, but it's understanding that your brain stores things primarily like the best way to hardwire a memory is through a sensory emotion. So. That's why we remember things like cinnamon rolls on Christmas or like the excitement of going to Disneyland for the first time. Like those memories are pivotal and have been hardwired because there's a very strong emotion to it. And that's also why when I was saying like one of the biggest troubles is like people are not being able to identify their emotions. If you're not able to tap into any emotion, then we hear people saying that they have very few memories, right? If you're so numbed that you're going through life, you know, even keel with no highs and no lows, then everything's just kind of dull and you're not creating memories and things are a little lifeless. So all of this goes hand in hand. Yeah. It's super intermingled. You're an expert on overcoming anxiety. What are some warning signs for anxiety or even burnout? So anxiety and burnout for sure go hand in hand and they have really similar symptoms. Things like a lack of focus, extreme fatigue, even digestive issues. You can have like muscle soreness or joint aches, just like body aches in general, dissociation. You can have obviously like really shallow breath, heart palpitations. I mean, blurred vision, tunnel vision. There's a million things. And the more you're starting to identify these things, the more, yeah, the more likely it is that you're experiencing anxiety and depression or anxiety or burnout. What are some ways to combat that? Like, I, it's, I know it's person to person, but like, what are some ways that like the TBB babes, if they're like, Hey, I'm experiencing really bad burnout right now, or even like anxiety that I've never experienced before, what would be your first thing that you'd say, okay, do these three things or your, or the first thing at least. So if you're experiencing Well, burnout, like I said, burnout and anxiety both manifest very similarly. If you know that you're working yourself on both, like burning out both ends of the candle, we know we've got to take a step back. And that's all almost like my entire primary message is preventative self-care is the key to everything. So if you're already prioritizing, you know, that you're increasing your nourishment and practicing hobbies throughout the week. If you're already having really vulnerable conversations with people saying like, I'm really overworking myself or these things are going to kind of come up to front of mind for you before you're getting to these places. So making sure you're practicing the mind fundamentals on a regular basis is to me, the absolute key to prevention. But if you're already there, it's finding ways to build it into your schedule to create self-care. So things like we were saying earlier, even like the gratitude journal, if you're not practicing your mindset every single day, then you're going to be more likely to 
kind of spiral. Things like yoga, which again, I was like, I'm never doing yoga. <laughs> and then my therapist recommended yoga and it's a real game changer, forces you to slow down and be present. Really the key to, all right, we're going to shorten my answer. The key to any of this, I think, is mindfulness. And it's learning to slow down and be present because when we're overworking or when we're experiencing anxiety and depression, it's so much of like, I need to do this, 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 and this in the future. Or I regret having done this, this, and this in the past. And like, what did these people think of me? Like, I wish I would have done this differently. Or like, I'm not producing enough, you know? So the more you're able to get into your body right now, the better. So I do a lot of breathing exercises. We do box breathing in my office. I have literally inhale, exhale on my wall here. Is, is What's box breathing? The box breathing is, it's done by Navy SEALs actually. And I learned it by attending a Brene Brown conference. So you inhale for four and then you hold it for four and then you exhale for four. I'm (laughs) like doing it as you're talking. I'm like, I know. (laughs) And then you hold it again for four and like holding it, especially if you're feeling anxiety is really hard because we breathe really shallow when we are experiencing anxiety because it's a fight or flight response, we're like ready for battle, right? So we're trying to create like the optimal oxygen and carbon monoxide, no carbon dioxide. (laughs) (laughs) Carbon dioxide, what's going on? (laughs) Everybody says that carbon dioxide is poisonous and we need to get it out, but it actually helps you to calm to have a little bit of it still in your system. So holding your breath between the inhale and the exhale is helping you to get that carbon dioxide back into your blood bloodstream in the optimal levels. And breathing is like the number one way to put you into a parasympathetic state of rest and relax where your heart rate slows and it kind of minimizes all of the other symptoms of anxiety. So... Oh, I have a very selfish question right now. Okay, so on the topic of self-care, so how do you separate when you're being lazy versus self-care? Because I feel like a lot of times, like this, it's a word that's being thrown around that is so trendy, but also I feel like so not used properly in a lot of senses. And self-care, I think, can look so different to everyone. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe one day it's a bubble bath or maybe one day it's freaking tacos and tequila. But how do you balance the version of keeping with your goals and not being lazy and saying, oh, well, I guess I don't really need to do my walk today because that's self-care. I'm going to sleep in a little bit versus like you need to push yourself and like, bitch, go on the walk or don't have the tacos and tequila. I think we inherently know, right? Like we have this inner voice telling us like what to do. And if your inner voice is beating you up because you should be more productive, then that is your answer. That day, your self-care needs to be like, I need to attack these goals or I need to be working towards those goals. Or if yourself or if that inner voice is saying like, I am exhausted, I deserve a nap, I just need a nap. Or if that inner voice is like, I just really need some friends and like, I could use a shot of tequila. Yeah. (laughs) I think that we have become so detached from listening to ourselves. And again, that's part of being mindful is being like open to the messages that we're receiving from inwards, which again, is that woo-woo bullshit I don't believe in. But (laughs) we do. You inherently know, right? Like if you're like, bitch, get up off the couch, then you know you need to get up off the couch. 
Yeah. So self-care that day would be doing the hard thing. And sometimes the hard thing when your inner voice is really ambitious is taking the nap and having that negotiation. So like, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. It's sometimes you need to rest. Sometimes you need to play. Sometimes you need to work. And just knowing that like the human experience is meant to be ups and downs and complex and convoluted and allowing yourself to be that. You launched a program called Hustle Smart. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So it's, again, kind of going against the hustle hard culture where we only prioritize productivity as creating value to one another. Mm -hmm. And so there are little hacks and tips about learning to prevent procrastination. I talk a lot more about routine. I talk about things like even how like organization and creating like a clean workplace or doing laundry on certain days, like all of these things add up as like the ultimate hack to make you more productive, but in a healthy way so that you don't have to think so hard about it. So it doesn't, it's not so complicated. And so you're not like beating yourself up around it. And again, prioritizing self-care over everything because nothing's going to make you more productive than like taking care of yourself and resting or working out or whatever. (laughs) Have you ever watched the home edit? Yes. Okay. So I like, I'm recently obsessed. I watched it like twice and then I went on Amazon and like ordered all these things. But I feel like I noticed that even with my space, I feel like the space is the biggest thing ever because Mm -hmm. all you need and all like set a timer because I time block of like 20 minutes and do like a power clean. Yes. Will you notice when your space and even the people on the show, when they're so emotionally attached to a space they hate in their home, it's heavy over them. Like you can tell, like, especially not the celebrities, but like the, but like the average (laughs) everyday people that are like, oh my God, I hated my kitchen or this closet gave me anxiety. I hate to be in here. People attach their emotions to rooms and shit. Sure. I mean, for sure. I mean, if you think of like the extreme version of that hoarders, those people are dealing with some trauma and they have created this terrible space that they hate living in. And it's like manifested from this like inner dialogue somewhere in their past, right? Like, absolutely. I think that your space has a ton to do with your mental health. That's amazing. So do you have any books, podcasts, or resources that you personally love that you keep going back to? I do. I have a lot of books I think that I go back to really regularly. The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg is a favorite of mine. And he talks a lot about how obviously like the brain automates and how it works into marketing. So actually that's a really yeah, good no, one. I would, I would love too. that one. I will totally order that. Yeah. Another one that I recently read is, oh, I'm not going to remember his name right now, but it's called Breath. It's the lost art and science of, I don't know, like of breathing, I think. And it's James Newsome, I want to say, but that's not right. We can all have to, we can link it. Yeah, I'll send it to you. You Send it to us. Yeah. And again, so how I was saying, like tapping into your breath helps you get into a parasympathetic state. He He goes into like way into depth about that. And it's a huge part of like preventative care in general. It talks about like the nutrition and how like like mouth breathing really like actually destroys your cognition. Like your brain doesn't think as clearly as if you're breathing through your nose. And so there's all kinds of crazy like nuggets in that one. The eat right for your type 
is a book about a diet based around your blood type and how like your bioindividuality is so important to the way that you need to be nourished. And I mean, that's a whole other thing that we could get into where your gut really regulate. It's called the second brain because 95% of your serotonin is created in your digestive system. If you're eating things that your unique biochemistry doesn't agree with, then creating inflammation. Inflammation is very highly correlated to anxiety and depression. And so all of these things, again, kind of like link together. So eat right for your type. And there's another one called The Four Agreements by Manuel. I've heard of them. Man, I'm really bad at their name. I've I've heard of it. Just for communication and for holding yourself accountable. So like if you're saying, how do I know if I'm being lazy or if I need a day? then the four agreements is a really helpful tool to start kind of like talking to yourself in that way. That's amazing. What do you want to be known for personally? I want to be known for revolutionizing the way that we talk about mental health and creating the idea that prevention is key. I think it's insane that, you know, 51.5 million people were diagnosed with anxiety and depression in 2019. And we're only just now like recognizing after COVID that this is like a really big problem in our country. And nobody taught me when I was five, the way that dentists came in or the way that doctors came in, how to take care of my mental health, the way they taught me how to take care of my body, you know? Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with that. I feel like in high schools and colleges, they need to have a freaking social media course and they need to have a mental health course. Yes. Because you are your own brand and it follows you forever. And too, yeah. And it's also too, like how you use social media can impact your mental health. Like absolutely. And and vice versa, like how your mental health is taken care of impacts what you're posting or looking at on social. So I feel like that is something that like, that was never taught. Same with freaking yeah. taxes, but you know, that's a whole oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we all agree on that one. <laughs> yeah, we're like all of the above. But tell, I don't know how to do tell all the TBB babes where they can find you, where they can come say hey. Come and visit me on at Lindsay underscore Paoli. And my websites are currently under construction, but you can come to just lindsaypaoli.com where you're able to find all my courses. My therapy practice is www.fundamentalhealthlv.com and I'm launching coaching there. So even though I can't practice therapy outside of the state, I can do coaching via Zoom anywhere in the world. So you're able to reach me there and see all my courses. That's amazing. Thank you so much for spending your day with us. I know the TBB babes are going to get so much value from this, from the relationship aspect to the self-care. And there were so many good little nuggets on even like overcoming anxiety and holding yourself accountable. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. I was so excited to do this. Me too. Okay, TBB babes, please make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and we will see all of your pretty faces next Thursday. Ta-ta for now. 